It's a Friday edition of Locked On Warriors. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News. Make sure to follow Locked On Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get podcasts for episodes every day, Monday through Friday. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, and you're going to get 15% off on your next order. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, going live here for Locked On Warriors. A lot of news to get to today. Uh, Gary Payton second signed 10-day contract with the Warriors. Uh, fans will be allowed into Chase Center. Rick Welts stepping down as president and CEO of the team after the year. And most importantly, your boy got vaccinated today. Uh, big news. Well, I don't know if I got, I don't know, you get the first dose. Can you then say you're, you've been vaccinated? I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm on the process of getting vaccinated. So far, so good. No side effects after a couple of hours. Uh, feeling all right. Holding the cell phone here uh, with the left arm in which they pricked me. So that's good. Was having some technical issues uh, with this earlier. Tried a couple of times to get this started. If you guys can hear me, it would be helpful uh, to know if you guys could say so in the chat. Um, I'm going to keep going. Assuming that you guys can hear right now uh we got a bunch of mailbag questions thank you bob appreciate that uh awesome i don't know what was happening before but we got to figure it out guys we nailed it uh if you want to request to speak just uh speak here if we want to talk about any of the things that we were just talking about uh we're gonna get to some mailbag questions uh and the first one this comes from zip fish is gary payton second actually going to contribute this season or is he kind of a bench warmer behind nico um my sense is that He's not going to be part of the core rotation, obviously. And maybe he gets some time tonight against Washington. But Steve Kerr basically said, you know, we'll see. And that makes sense, right? You're not going to roll a guy out there after one practice necessarily. You're not going to rely on him, especially. But, uh, you know, this is a guy who is a defensive-minded point guard. He's not a very good three-point shooter, 28% or something like that for his NBA career. You know, he can hold on to the ball. He can take care of the ball. But really what he's doing is he's going to try to guard the best player on the other team. Uh, And if you think about what the Warriors have in their backcourt, you've got Steph Curry, obviously. But, you know, Jordan Poole, scoring-minded guard. Nico Mannion, kind of a facilitator. Not much, you know, he's a liability on defense. Gary Payton's not. Gary Payton believes that he can come out and guard the best player on the other team. So tonight's game against Washington could actually be a pretty interesting test. You know, if, if Bradley Beal, the... NBA's leading scorer, Russell Westbrook, who can do Russell Westbrook things, uh, is giving them a hard time. Steve Kirk can look down the bench and be like, you know what? Let's throw let's throw the mitten out there. Why not? You know, if they're giving him a hard time. So, uh, you know, I don't know if we should expect any minutes from Gary Payton right away. And by the way, I'm not going to keep calling him Gary Payton a second. I think we all know which Gary Payton plays for the Warriors. Um, I think he'll get some minutes. 10-day contract, it'll last about six games. And at that point, if he impresses during practice or in those games, in whatever minutes that he gets, the Warriors would be are, are eligible to re-sign him to a second 10-day contract. You can't re-sign him to another 10-day contract. You can't do three 10-day deals. At that point, you kind of have to make a, des- a decision. Do we want to sign him to a prorated minimum for the rest of the year, or do we just want to let him walk? Uh, my sense is that First of all, you go after the 10-day contract guy because he's cheaper, costs you basically nothing, 
The Warriors saved about $11 million against the tax with the Brad Wanamaker and Marquise Chris deals at the deadline. And they waited until the very last minute to fill out that 14th roster spot. So my guess at this point, unless Gary Payton really impresses them and they feel you know particularly motivated to keep him around uh, over these next 10 days, my guess is that when his contract expires April 17th, I believe it is, that um, they'll let him go and then they'll go another two weeks, which they're, they're, you're allowed to go two weeks with less than 14 players. So they'll go two, those full two weeks, save whatever money they can, and then bring in another player on a 10-day contract. Maybe it's Gary Payton again. Maybe it's somebody else. Remember this last year, this is what the Warriors did, right? They kind of churned the bottom of the roster, saving as much money as possible underneath the hard tax. Warriors, of course, not dealing with the hard or the hard salary cap, I should say. Not dealing with that this year, but they're still dealing with some cap issues that they, they you know, want to save some money in a year where, you know, you're not really doing anything. Um, all right, moving on. Any This comes from Frisky Business. Any word on James Wiseman's offseason plans? I saw a rumor he's been in contact with KG trying to set up some workouts with him, but I'm not sure if there's any truth to that. Uh, no official word on what James Wiseman wants to do this offseason, but uh, it reminds me of a story or, or, or you know, an article written by David Thorpe for True Hoop this morning that I retweeted. He does a really good job. David Thorpe actually had a, my favorite uh, pre-draft breakdown of Wiseman, and so that's actually worth going back and watching and reading uh, if you're interested, because like I said, it's the best pre-draft breakdown that I saw of James Wiseman's game and really just get, laid out the reasons why you would take him with one of the top picks, right? Uh, focus on what he can do, not necessarily what he can't do. This, this piece that came out this morning, Friday morning, kind of laid out why he struggled this year and the steps, kind of like a three-pronged approach to getting the most out of him over these next 21 games. And basically what he said was just simple, simplify everything, simplify everything. Just let him run North to South down the middle of the floor, run hard in transition and finish at the rim with lobs and dunks, set screens, lob and dunk and finish and all that stuff. Just let him do that. Don't worry about the three point shot. Don't worry about post moves. Don't even really worry so much about defense or switching or anything like that. Just let him build confidence and sort of recuperate and resuscitate his his rookie season with just dunks and finishes and rebounds. And as we saw in that first half against Milwaukee, when he's rebounding and dunking and finishing, he's a lot happier and he plays better overall. You know, his game really does depend on his mood as a rookie right now. And then after that, take the offseason. Use summer league. Do stuff like that. Because this was a weird offseason, right? He played 69 minutes in three games at Memphis, then got then had to leave the program. He spent that time working out in Miami with some trainers and stuff here, worked at DBC Fitness uh, in Miami. So, um, you know, guys like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Victor Oladipo, those sort of players, uh, a lot of NFL players, they work out at that gym. James Wiseman worked out at that gym, got his body ready, worked out with some pro hoops uh, coaches. Uh, and that's how he really prepared. I would imagine he spent some more time in Miami uh, over the offseason, but as far as officially what James Wiseman is going to do, we can assume that he's going to go to Summer League in Las Vegas. So as long as Summer League still happens, that's probably number one. Spend some time in Vegas, spend some time in Miami. Does he connect with Kevin Garnett? Does he connect with somebody like that? Maybe. We'll see. 
I think that could be helpful. Kevin Garnett would be in, like David Thorpe said in his piece, that's sort of the analog for Wiseman. Sort of the analog for Wiseman is, you know, Kevin Garnett struggled coming out of high school, his the beginning of his rookie season. And then toward the end of his rookie season, really seemed to put it together. James Wiseman, best, you know, had a double-double in that first half against Milwaukee. He kept the fouls low. Got a double-digit rebounds for the first time in like a month or something. Let's start to see if that becomes a little bit more consistent. That's what I'm watching for for James Wiseman over these next 21 games. Do these good games happen more frequently? Are these bad games, these frustrations that kind of boiled over with him? Does that start to subside a little bit? That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Um, All right. If you want to talk, if you want to chat Warriors, anything you want to talk about, really, uh, just request to speak here on the Locker Room app, uh, taking other mailbag questions here in the meantime. Um, Fans at Chase Center. Oh, here's one. Comes from Mike. If you had to guess right now, uh, are Wiseman and the player taken with this Minnesota pick on the Warriors in 2022? That's a good question. If I had to guess right now, in the year 2022, is James Wiseman and the player taken with this Minnesota pick on the team? And at this point, I would probably say yes. Uh, Not because I don't think that the Warriors wouldn't be willing to trade either one of those assets or both for a, a great player, but because I don't know that that great player is going to be available And because I still think that the Warriors value having young talent right now and sort of seeing it through. And I don't know what you trade James Wiseman for right now. I don't know what you get in a pack, like Wiseman and the Minnesota pick plus like the Andrew Wiggins salary. What does that get you? I think that can, I think you could shop it around the league and find some stuff. But would you do James Wiseman for Marcus Smart? I mean, I wouldn't. That doesn't seem to me to be enough value. Jake, what do you think? Hey, Wes. Um, I would not trade him for anything like Marcus Smart. It would have to be above. But I had another question about a possible trade. So, yeah. Kelly Oubre, obviously the goal is to re-sign him. And if not, we get some sort of return on a side and trade is ideal. And he's been linked to New Orleans liked him. And I was reading that's his hometown. So I was wondering, say he signed with New Orleans in free agency, and it seems like they've been pretty adamant about getting off of Steven Adams' contract. Do you see a path where maybe we did a sign and trade and acquired Steven Adams if Oubre decided to sign with New Orleans without giving up any assets? The sign and trade thing is interesting. If they take back that sort of salary, that's going to create the hard cap, right? And I don't know that the Warriors want to deal with that again for a player like Steven Adams. As And I think Steven Adams would be a really nice fit for Golden State. But um, is he the sort of player that you want to do that for? I don't know. Um, it would require some other salary having to get moved, obviously. Um, but the other thing, too, with New Orleans is they can, they have the cap space, potentially, to just sign Kelly Oubre outright. And they wouldn't have to send anything back. And the, I understand the motivation would be like, we want to get off of Steven Adams. But, you know, there's other ways to go about doing that, probably. So that's why I'm kind of... That's why I've always questioned this idea that the Warriors could sign and trade Kelly Oubre and get something back, but that, you know, maybe the risk was mitigated by not moving him at the deadline because the sign-and-trade would be a possibility. But 
that there's going to be a lot of teams with cap space this offseason and not really a lot of places to spend it because a lot of teams are hoarding cap space for Giannis. He signs the extension. Kyle Lowry kind of seems spoken for to either Miami or Philadelphia at this point. So I don't really consider him an unrestricted free agent in the same sense as a guy like Ubre who, you know, could find, you know, $15 million a season or something like that in a starting job somewhere else. And there's going to be a lot of teams with money. New Orleans will have money. Dallas is going to have money. New York is going to have money. Miami is going to have money. A lot, there's a lot of teams that are going to have money. And so I don't know that, I don't know that a sign and trade is really going to work. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, I'm kind of banking. I think we're just going to lose him, but I don't think it's yeah. as big of a loss as everyone thinks. It's definitely a loss, but I, I don't think it'll kill them to be honest. No, I think what hurts them. Look, Kelly Oubre. Uh, I like I like Oubre's game a lot. I always have, but he was he's been a little bit of like empty empty calories this year for the Warriors. I mean his his plus minus numbers and look the plus minus numbers for the Golden State this year are a little wonky because they've been so bad for such long stretches. But um, it's closer to like James Wiseman's plus minus than it is even like a a Kent Bazemore or a Damian Lee plus minus. Like he's a minus. The, the Warriors are minus eight and a half per game with with Ubre on the floor basically. And so um, I think he's been helpful defensively. His energy has been nice, but the big thing that you're missing if he walks or nothing is just, you know, what, what do you do with that salary cap slot? Because now you're trying to round out your bench with basically a mid-level exception and veteran minimum contracts. And not that you can't do that, right? Like you could still find good players at those, at those salaries, but based on this front office's track record, like you got to do better than Brad Wanamaker. You know, like that really hurt the Warriors this year. Not like Brad Wanamaker not panning out and being like the sixth man that you hoped he would be and basically being out of the rotation by the time you traded him, I thought really hurt this team. Is there any path to a trade exception or is that still just as complicated? A trade exception for who? For Ubre? Yeah, if he walks. No, probably not. Not at this point. Because uh, he's unrestricted and they have, I mean, they have his bird rights, but. Um, that would be the only thing is that they're able to match and pay him whatever he wants. And um, they could do that. But again, I don't know that they'd be willing to do that given that he's not been that helpful. So they'll, they'll have like some, they still have, I think these minor exceptions. I have to look them up like one, $2 million. I'm not sure when they expire, but uh, they do have some exceptions created by the Wanamaker and Marquise Chris deals. So that maybe that's helpful. But like, again, we're just talking about like really small salary slots. Let's take a break to talk about Built Bar. Thank God Built Bar Madness is over. I never want to think about how many of you love cookie dough and coconut-flavored things again, but I'm happy to keep talking about Built Bar and some of my favorite flavors. Built Bar is great for health-conscious men and women, whether you want to maintain or lose weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great if you're starting a keto diet, and they have 18 amazing flavors. My favorites are peanut butter brownie, toffee, almond, and raspberry. And they have nut-free options for those of you who want to avoid nuts. Built Bar has been with us for a long time, and we appreciate the partnership that we've built together. So support the show by supporting those who support us. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off on your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Yeah, I have a question um, in regards to, do you think that the Pacers would actually be interested in somebody like James Wiseman and possibly make a move for Miles. So that's an interesting name. Um, it's actually who I thought that the Warriors should trade the number two pick before the number two pick was James Wiseman. I thought they should offer the number two pick for Miles Turner. Uh, and then the Pacers could have gone in any direction with that. But 
I think Indiana, if they're going to split up, like it feels like they're they're cool just sticking with Sabonis and Turner for now, even though it's not ideal. And it does feel like at some point they're going to have to split up that that front court. But if they're going to do that, I would imagine it would be a move in order to make Sabonis their full time center, and 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 not kind of have this twin towers approach. And if you traded Wiseman for Turner, then you kind of still in that same position, but with a guy who's obviously less developed than Miles Turner. The argument for the Pacers doing that would be, hey, you like you're a middling team all the time. You're never going to tank because you're trying to stay in the playoffs because of your market size. You don't can't really afford to tank. And so here's the best way for you to get a transcendent type talent. And maybe they believe that. Maybe they're really high on James Wiseman and they're willing to do that. But if not, uh, then you're just sort of stuck with the same positional redundancy that they have right now with Miles Turner. And again, like you could argue, well, James Wiseman could space the floor potentially and all these things. Miles Turner could space the floor. He's a decent three-point shooter at the center spot, so that's not an issue. Uh, but if I thought I thought I think that would be a home run for the Warriors. I just don't know that the, the Pacers would necessarily do it. Again, it would just be, hey, here's a chance at a transcendent talent that you'll otherwise never have. So do this now. Uh, maybe if not Wiseman, maybe you can move the Minnesota pick for Miles Turner. But then if you're the Warriors, you have Miles Turner and James Wiseman. That's not awful. Like it gives James Wiseman more of a rope, right? You can be more patient with him, but I don't know that you want to do that at this point anyway. It just kind of it kind of feels where we're at now that the Warriors are either committed to Wiseman being their center uh, and their starting center. You can't really go backwards and put him on the bench and and bring him along slowly the way I thought that they should have done in the first place. But um, at this point, either you trade Wiseman for a a different position, or um, or you just sort of stick with him at center right now but i do think the minnesota pick jake says minnesota pick for brogman i love that i would do that in a heartbeat i would do that right now i don't know that indiana would and plus you'd have brogman makes about 20 million dollars so you would still need to get up to that salary somehow would would you do wiggins in the minnesota pick for brogman i don't know if i would do that you know that's giving up a lot of stuff i think i like wiggins too much even though i'd say brogman's better just coupled with that pick i I think yeah i mean you're basically you've got you know, two bites at the apple with Wiggins and, and, and the pick versus one guy in Brogdon. And if you bring in Brogdon, the idea would be he's like your new Andre Ugadala slash Sean Livingston, right? He's, he would be the ideal six man for this group because he could also play alongside Steph and Clay. But if you lose Wiggins, now, you're, now you've got this huge hole at small forward and really no way to fill it. I guess you could bring back Ubre, but again, that's not a guarantee that he even wants to come back. You know, even if you can give him the salary and the, and the, the starting job, I would assume he would come back if you offered all that stuff, but he's unrestricted. There's no way to, to know for sure. So uh, maybe you can re-sign Oubre and then make that kind of deal. But then again, but still, it's just giving up a lot of stuff for a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who would be a great fit, but that's just a lot of stuff to give up for Brogdon. Uh, I had a question. So Let's do it. For the Warriors, and I know a Miles Turner trade's been mentioned, the Brogdon trade, is it even worth pursuing players who realistically are not going to push you over the top and make you a championship level team, especially when you're giving up your main assets to do so. Yeah. I love that question. Um, if it means giving up a Wiseman or a Minnesota pick, uh, probably not, but then we're talking about, all right, how close, what, what's that, that last thing that this team needs? What, what, what does the what do these Warriors need to close the gap between where they are now with a healthy Clay Thompson and a bona fide championship contender? 
Bradley Beal would obviously obviously do that. So okay, cool. Bradley Beal. Well, all right, let's go down from there. Like let's work backwards. Would a Miles Turner do it? Let's just say hypothetically. I think if you plugged Miles Turner into the starting lineup, again, hypothetically, I don't think it works at this point with Indiana, but if you if you plugged in a Miles Turner type, a, a developed, relatively polished, dynamic big man who can change your offense and uh, really be a benefit of you to you right away in a way that James Wiseman at, at this point in his career just isn't, does that make you a championship contender with him and Steph, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green? I would argue, yeah, that's a pretty damn good starting five. I mean, just look at the starting five with Kevon Looney, who is about as average of a center as you can get, and and it's a really good starting five. Um, so the idea would be either like Wiseman develops and becomes that positive, and then it the 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 net rating for this starting lineup skyrockets, or you get another player in that position. Uh, but so okay, I think that would that could be worth it. Um, if you really want to chase a championship right now, but I think for the Warriors, look, I think you need to use the assets. Like you'll you'll shop the Minnesota pick, of course you will. And we'll see if it, how it shakes out, if they'll have it this year or next year. But you're going to shop the Minnesota pick no matter what. Just like they shopped the last pick. They ended up using it on James Wiseman, but they shopped this pick. You know, they're going to shop. They've already started shopping the Minnesota pick a little bit, at least from what Bob Meyer said. They took phone calls, whatever that means. We can argue semantics, but they at least gauged its value in one way or the other. They'll do it again before the, dead, before the, the, uh, the draft, but they'd be comfortable just, you know, using the pick on another player and, and seeing what happens now. You know, does is it Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs or a player like that? We'll see. I think both of those guys could, you know, to different degrees help right away. But we also thought Wiseman could help right away. And what do we know? So uh, I do think that the Warriors should, to answer your specific question about whether or not they should move, make moves for players who may not necessarily move the needle but improve them, I think that they should. I think that they should be looking specifically to get this bench rounded out and add some really needed depth to this team because I look at teams like Toronto and Miami and San Antonio and over the years those teams have had success because they're not so much concerned with the big swing they're not so much concerned with hey does this make up a make us a title contender right now or should we just keep building should we just keep getting better and you saw that last year with Miami for example right where you know you you trade Justice Winslow who had some potential in your future for Jay Crowder and Andre Godala. And they go into this bubble, and and that depth, specifically Jay Crowder, ended up propelling them into the finals. Had Jay, had they not made that deal, I don't think they'd get to the finals. But at the trade deadline, nobody was saying, oh, Jay Crowder is the guy that's going to tilt the Eastern Conference finals. Tilt who comes out of the East and plays the Lakers in the finals. Nobody was saying that. So there's value to just putting yourself into position to consistently just making it a point to get better. And that, by the way, is how you build winning culture. And that winning culture has begun to erode a little bit right now in Golden State. That's at least my sense. You don't just have it, and it just it just exists in perpetuity. It's not how culture works. Culture is a living, breathing thing. You have to take care of it, nurture it. And to do that, it's not all about just making it to the finals. And I think that's why I argue this year. The Warriors should be really interested in making the play-in tournament and making it out of the play-in tournament and being a real playoff team because that stuff has value. It creates a winning atmosphere. It gives guys like Wiseman and Wiggins experience that they may need next year if you want to return to contention. That playoff experience will be really helpful for those guys who don't really have that playoff experience. 
or, or don't have that playoff experience. So um, that's my roundabout way of answering your question. I don't really know if I did or not, but I do think that they, they shouldn't be thinking in general, hey, does this make us a title contender? They should just be thinking, what makes us better tomorrow than we are today? Let's just keep getting better. Let's just win as much as possible and, and stop worrying about those big swings and like trying to be light years ahead and trying to game the system and all this stuff. Like it just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Hey, Wes, I got a question on myself. What's um, up? So based on considering the fact that, you know, you're around the guys far more than we are, what is the temperature like in terms of, are, is it some optimism um, I, about making that play in, making the playoffs, making some sort of a run. I know this next five game stretch is pretty important to you know the the perspective of how the season will turn out to be. But is it optimism? Is it fatigue? Is it what would you say you're gauging from the guys? You know, Steve Kerr keeps saying that he thinks that they're going to break through, and I I can't get a feel for if he really believes that or if that's just sort of like uh, trying to you know manifest your destiny type thing. Um, I think that this team is just being really realistic. They're, it's they've got like a yeoman's approach right now, where they kind of know what they are, they know what their problems are, they're trying to fix those problems, and they recognize if they do fix those problems, that they'll have a chance to make the playoffs. Now, I don't think that this team would be heartbroken if they didn't make the playoffs. I'll say that. I don't think that this team wants it as much as some other teams that are gunning for it. Uh, I don't get that sense whatsoever. Uh, so whatever that says about morale, I guess we could we could read between the tea leaves. But um, this this has been a pretty trying year for the Warriors with all the COVID stuff. They've really been dealing with it a lot. Uh, they have never really gotten over the hump. Maybe they have now. Hopefully, uh, they have. You know, most of the team has been vaccinated at this point, so that's helpful. Even though it doesn't really help you against the protocols, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they want it as much as they probably should, and I'm arguing that they should because I think it's valuable. Yeah. Um, Jake says, if the culture was so strong, we would have landed better bench pieces like Jay Crowder rather than Wanamaker. That's true. You're not getting those ring chasers anymore, right? That's what makes this front office's job really hard. And I think we keep talking about Steve Kerr and how much he has to evolve as a head coach, right? Because this is not the job he was hired to do, right? He wasn't hired to develop a roster. He was hired to take care and nurture and motivate and manage the egos of a superstar roster. And he did a great job of that. He was exactly the coach. He was the perfect coach for that group. The perfect coach for that group. This group, he's learning to evolve and doing all these things, and it's stuff that we've talked about. But Bob Myers is also learning. Bob Myers doesn't come from the Daryl Morey school of, you know, finding holes in the system. He doesn't come from old school GM of, you know, building rosters from the ground up. No, he comes from the agent world. Bob Myers was hired to get superstars, right? The first, like he was chasing Dwight Howard and Chris Paul. We remember that. And he got the superstars and he built those rosters and, and he did those things and that was great. But now he's forced to kind of build rosters from the ground up. He doesn't get to just lean on the fact that ring chasers want to sign in golden state anymore. So this is kind of new for Bob Myers, too. I know we keep talking about how new it is for Steve Kerr and how he has to evolve. Bob Myers has to evolve as well. And I think that, like, again, not to keep harping on the Wanamaker signing, but it was really bad. That really hurt them this year. I think that not trading Ubre at the deadline is going to hurt them. It's going to have some long-term consequences. The And, you know, 
Yeah, I got a question for like the Uber thing with sure. Steve. Do you think? Do you think when Steve kind of mentioned, I th- I don't know if it was before the tread deadline, I think, or like it was about to go go down to the deadline, and he mentioned something about Kelly Oubre coming off the bench for next season. Do you think that that's going to have some effect in in terms of how Kelly's going to make a decision? Yeah, Kelly wants to start, man. I I, I think he's made that pretty clear. He kind of danced around it a little bit, but he pretty much said I I could do more than coming off the bench and can't really blame him right he spent the beginning of his career coming off the bench for Washington all these things he gets to Phoenix comes off the bench I believe for one year there and then breaks through as a starter last year then he can't play in the bubble uh they decide they're better off they go eight no in the bubble they're better off without Oubre they trade him to Oklahoma City and then the Oklahoma City turns around trades him to Golden State and boom and, and you know he's he's got the starting job now but he doesn't so he's going to be a starter for two straight years after finally breaking through after being a bench player for so long. Guy who's a lottery pick, by the way, right? This isn't just a guy who's happy to be here. You know, it's a lottery pick, a five-star recruit at Kansas. Uh, he believes he can start. He has a ton of confidence in his ability. I don't think he wants to come off the bench anymore. And again, you can't blame him. If Kelly Bray walks away this year, I always thought that this was sort of a marriage of convenience, right? The Warriors needed somebody to start in Clay Thompson's spot after the Achilles injury. Kelly Oubre was available. They had a starting job available. They had the trade exception. Done deal, you know. Uh, they were not, as I reported back then. If if Clay Thompson didn't get hurt, they weren't going to even use the trade exception. They were going to just let it roll over or just let it expire. The only reason they used it was because Clay tore his Achilles. And so I think that's another reason why they're comfortable with letting Kelly Oubre walk, because this is money that they never really intended to pay next season anyway. They were never ex- uh, expecting to maintain that cap slot in the first place. So I think that's one of the reasons why they're comfortable to let him walk. But they better have a they better have a plan, because players like that of Oubre's caliber, and again, I, I there's empty calories and stuff there, but he's he's of a certain caliber. It's hard to find those kinds of players. Uh, for minimum contracts and mid-level exceptions. So they've got some more cut out for them. Let's take a minute to talk about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. This is one of the best times for sports of the year. The NBA is making the playoff push. Major League Baseball is in full swing, and it's Masters weekend. And I love the Masters, Augusta, Spring Season, Azaleas. And you could still place your bets, even though we are almost two rounds into the Masters. Bet Online even covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKED ON. Again, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but only when you use that promo code LOCKED ON. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. I said I have a kind of hopefully optimistic question. Uh, based on Justinian Jessup's impressive performance in the NBL, what should be some decent expectations for him next year? And I guess the Warriors youth players. So I actually like what they've done uh, with with some of their youth guys. Look, you're gonna you're gonna strike out on some players, but you know, Juan Descano Anderson, Damian Lee, Jordan Poole, they they took different paths in their development. They're all on kind of different tracks. But I think those are three, like, solid players. And based on what we've seen from Justinian Jessup, like, they, they drafted Jessup in part because they liked his skill set, but also because he was willing to play overseas for a year because they didn't have a roster spot and they didn't want to just 
waste the pick or sell the pick and not get anything out of it. But um, they've had internal conversations about possibly bringing him over this year. It would be hard. You have to buy out his contract and all these all these things that they're probably not going to go. Uh, they're not probably not going to do that. Um, but just the fact that they've had those internal conversations indicates that they've been impressed with his progress. Right now, I think it's better that he plays in overseas so they can continue to develop playing 30 plus minutes per game like he is right now. Basically, um, I think that realistic expectations for next year for him continuing to develop the way he is. Uh, maybe, you know, what everybody thought Michael Mulder would be this year. Three-point specialist off the bench, comes in, maybe hits a couple of shots for you from beyond the arc in a game when you need him. I don't know that he'll be a core rotation piece right away, but if you do what you need to do this offseason, you, ha- you won't need him to be. And you can just bring him along slowly the way that they brought along Damian Lee and Jordan Poole and, and Juan Descano-Anderson uh, slowly. That, and that's really where the Warriors need to go, is that if they really if they want to be the next Spurs, right? Like they always talk about, it's not just draft guy, guy comes in and presses right away. It's draft guy, stash him for a little while, either on the bench or overseas or in the G league or whatever it is, let him develop patiently over a couple of years. And then guys leave, you know, contracts expire. You have room. You need to backfill some spots. That guy steps up and now he's ready in year three or four. When guys typically take their leaps, uh, to play a, a meaningful role, and that player had, had you know developed organically. So I think that's the expectation for Jessup is you know two three years from now he could be a guy for you. Um, I right now like I keep saying they just don't have they don't really have the guys in front of them, and they need to go find the guys that need to be in front of them. Ryan, what's up, man? Hey, Wes. Uh, I just have a question, like kind of kind of hypothetical, but not really. Um, do you think there's a path to a championship next year if we don't make that big swing for a superstar? Like, we get these in the margin moves. We'd probably drop, like, a Jalen Suggs, per se, whatever. Do you think that's in? Yeah, if if the Warriors draft Jalen Suggs, they're going to win the title. I'm all in on Jalen Suggs. They're, they're, he's, he'll be great right away. Uh, but uh, jokes aside, um, no, I think, it, like, a guy like Jalen Suggs makes sense. A guy that if whoever they draft with this pick, if they get the pick, uh, needs to contribute right away, but regardless, um, the path would be James Wiseman takes a substantial leap between years one and two, which I believe is possible. The dude is so talented. I'm not ready to write him off, okay? So if he takes a dramatic leap, if he, you know, these next 20, 21 games, gains some confidence just as a rim runner, simple role, you know, you just define his his role to very to something very specific, very simple, and he can just build confidence, go into the offseason, have a good summer league, have some good workouts in Miami, train with whoever he needs to train with, and come back feeling better and more confident and more rounded out and all this stuff, and he comes back uh, and takes that leap, that's the first thing. And then just going and getting a sixth and seventh man. Now maybe you do that with this Minnesota pick somehow. Maybe you do that with a mid-level exception somehow. Maybe you do execute some sort of sign and trade with Kelly Oubre. Who knows? I, whatever. You make some sort of moves, but I, that would be the path is Steph comes back healthy. Everything's good, as we expect. Wiggins, if he just is what he is, that's good enough there. Clay Thompson comes back. Now, he said he's not going to play 40 minutes at an all-NBA level right away, but you don't need him to do that right away. You just need him to be helpful by the time the playoffs come around. Um, and then Wiseman takes a leap. And then you just add a couple players to this bench to fill out your rotation. 
Yeah, I think that's the path. Why not? I think you could definitely get there. Look, we don't know what's going to happen with the Clippers. I think the Nuggets are going to be like legit contenders. They are going to be tough to get through. Utah is going to be there. We'll see if what they did in the regular season holds up in the in the postseason this year. The Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis will be a threat no matter what. But yeah, I think I have no reason to think that the Warriors couldn't be one of those teams. But um, that that's the path. But what I just laid out, Ryan, and it was a good question. And that's the question. That's kind of what the Warriors need to look at is, okay, here's our path. How do we execute it? What I just laid out was a, a, a bunch of big ifs, right? If Wiseman takes that year one to year two leap, if Clay Thompson comes back 85, 90% of what he was before consecutive ACL and Achilles injuries, if you can nail some offseason moves that quite frankly, over the last couple of years, you haven't nailed, right? And if you can nail, if you can get a lot of value out of this draft pick that has immediate dividends in a way that this last one didn't um those are a lot of ifs but those are the ifs that they're gonna have to have to you know turn into yeses basically you know turn into successes in order to get there but that that would be the path it's right there in front of them it's but you know it's it's like one of those easier said than done things and then adding on to that question who do you think will be the second option next year will it be clay or will it be wiggins it might be wiseman like i don't think you can I don't think you can expect Clay to be the second op. It depends. Like Clay Thompson isn't going to be this guy that you're going to throw the ball to and expect him to create stuff. And outside of outside of Steph, I don't really know who that player is. I mean, Draymond creates stuff. He creates shots for other people, not for himself. Wiseman gets his own shot. Doesn't really create for other people. Like Wiggins, I guess could do some ball creation. It, it depends. Like if it's late in the shot clock, I think it's Wiggins is the second option. Um, if it's early in the shot clock, I think they go to to Draymond or or Wiseman in some sort of screen and roll situation, and then Clay Thompson's going to be there early on to benefit off of some catch and shoot stuff and, and things like that. But I, I don't know what the realistic expectations for Clay is right now. Nobody does. We'll have to we'll have to see what it looks like when he comes back. At some point, the idea would be that he would be the second option, that you could throw it to him in the post and he can use that underrated post game that he has and you know, do some things with the ball on the perimeter and all that kind of stuff. But we just don't know yet. We just don't know. Hey, George, you, you uh, wanted to speak. What's up, man? Uh, I didn't want to disrupt the conversation you guys were having. No, uh, you're I, all good. I, I just wanted to ask a question uh, that just from a Warriors fan's perspective. Yeah. Um, do you guys feel like Curry should be in the MVP conversation? This- I'm actually going to I'm gonna throw that to the group. Does anybody feel strongly about this? Well, he uh, should be in a conversation, but I don't think – I just think he should be at least, like, meh, like right around six or seven. I think they could, they could be nice and give him, like, a token fifth-place finish. Right, yeah, sure. <laughs> because of how good of a season he's having. Yeah. But let's be I, real, not winning enough. Can't. I don't think he deserves the award MVP, but just by the term, MV, like, most valuable player. Curry's been the most valuable player this year, at least in my opinion. He's the most valuable player on his team, without a doubt. I think they could. I mean, they, I think honestly, with the Warriors without Curry is the worst team in the NBA. And the fact that when he's on the floor, that they're a borderline um, playoff team or playing team in the Western Conference says a lot. I think a lot of people use his team as an argument against him, and the record when it should be used as an argument for him. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I think this year, honestly, I, f- I think the media could respect him a bit better instead of giving him MVP votes. Just like stop the stop the dumb narratives about Steph and like needing to be carried by KD and stuff. 
I think that does more service to the guy for as great of a season as he's having rather than just giving him some meaningless MVP votes. Look, I think if, if, the, if the Warriors end up in the playoffs, there's going to be a, oh, Steph was maybe snubbed for MVP type of conversation. But if the Warriors get in the playoffs, they're only going to get in the playoffs because of a late push. And at that point, a lot of voters may have made up their mind on who the MVP is. And right now, you know, it's hard to argue that he should be the MVP given, you know, some of the other, like there's some really good candidates this year. I know LeBron and Embiid and Harden have had their injuries, but, um, and it's hard to give it a, to a guy whose record is what it is. But yeah, look, Basketball Reference has like top 10 pages, top 10 voting listed, you know, historically. Steph should be in the top 10 conversation, but I don't think he should be in the top five conversation. Like Chris Paul right now, who's getting some MVP buzz, has more of an argument just because of how good Phoenix is. Um, but look, I think Steph is playing as good as he ever has. And maybe laying the foundation this year for an MVP run next year. Right. Because people are seeing what he's doing. I think, you know, knowledgeable fans and and media people and people who watch the sports see that, okay, Steph is the only reason the Warriors are even in this playoff hunt at all. If not for Steph, this team is nothing They're They're like, you know, they're Minnesota. They're, you know, one of these bad teams. And uh, it is laying the foundation for him to come back after breaking the hand and coming back and playing the way he has. And then if he plays this way next year and the Warriors are in the thick of the playoff race, uh, look, we're seeing Denver right now. They're not the number one seed in the West, but everybody's given this thing, ready to give this thing to Nikola Jokic, and, and he deserves it. But, um, you know, the Warriors yeah. don't have to be the number one seed or number, the number two seed next year. But if they're just a bona fide playoff team in the West and Steph's playing this way, I think we could see another Steph MVP. I don't, I don't, I have no reason to think that we couldn't. I was thinking you- it could be more like, you know, last year Damian Lillard had this great season and it kind of set up what was supposed to be an MVP year this year. I think it could be like that for Steph next year, except I think Steph could actually win the MVP. Right. The difference is that Portland made the playoffs last year, and they kind of always disappoint a little bit in the postseason for some reason. Um, or, like, fizzle out, really. Like, they'll always have, like, Damian Lillard will always have, like, a game-winning moment, and they'll be like, oh, my God, it's Damian Lillard at game time, all this stuff, and then they fizzle out in the next round. But, um, yeah, I think that if the Warriors either back into the playoffs or miss the playoffs and Steph comes back and then they're a mu- they're just easily a much better looking team, even with Clay back, there will be some people, right? They'll say, oh, he's only doing it because Clay's there. And it's like, all right, to George's point, yeah. Like they were really bad last year and Steph still carried them to being average. And you have Clay back who makes them an average team and now Steph's carrying them to being a good team. And that's kind of the idea behind the MVP argument. Um, no, I think, I think and, and Steph, by the way, he's already won the MVP. So twice. So there's, you know, precedent for it. People think of Steph Curry as an MVP type player where Damian Lillard, you know, I, I think all of us understand how great Damian Lillard is, but I don't know that a lot of people think of him as an MVP type player just because he hasn't won one yet. So what do you um, think? What do you think? Where do you think Steph's like, you know, where do you think Steph's mindset is like for this season going into next season. You think he's all in? You think he's all in with this sort of rebuild or he's going to press the the front office to actually make some moves? I think he's going to press the front office to make moves, but not in the way that like a LeBron or a Kawhi or these kind of guys who sort of demand their terms have historically. But he's going to do it in his own way. He's going to say, look... <laughs> I'm coming off a broken hand. This last season was fun. I get it. I know we had to develop. James Wiseman, I get it. I understand the whole thing, but we're in a really good position. Let's capitalize now. I feel great. 
I've never felt better. Uh, let's make some moves. I think that's going to be in in one way or another, the kind of the pressing that he does. Now, I don't know that he's going to go out there and call his shots, right? I don't know if he's going to go out there and be like, hey, trade for this guy, do this, get this guy off my team. I don't think that that's – I don't think Steph operates that way. But I could see him, you know, working with the front office and just and them saying, hey, how do you feel comfortable? Do you want to do more of this pick-and-roll stuff? Like, what kind of players do you want around you? What do you think about this guy and that guy? I think he's going to be more involved because this year he has been – much more involved in a way that he hasn't been like his, he's been more vocal as a leader. He's been more vocal with the coaches with things like strategy and stuff like that. Like he's been more vocal the entire time he was involved during the trade deadline a little bit, but um, obviously wasn't calling the shots. So he's just, his involvement has been ticking up uh, versus what it used to be where he was just very um, happy to just be a player on the team and do his job. He's getting a lot more involved with the organization as a whole. Uh, and so for that reason, he's just going to be sort of like, again, I don't think it's going to be barging into Bob Myers's office, banging on the table and saying, go get me this player. But he's just sort of consistently involved in these conversations now. And because of that, the Warriors are just going to know where it is that he stands and what he's ready to do and what he thinks the roster needs, uh, just because he's so involved, you know, often with all the things that are happening operationally with this team. So, um yeah, I think I think is I think he's he's gonna have a lot more influence than than what it was before. Do you also think that does he does he sign the extension first thing next year, like for next? Yeah, season? I think he'll sign it. I think he's, I think he signs it. Yeah. Staying on the stuff topic, when do you think stuff's prime ends? I know you can't you don't it's like you don't know the stuff, but when do you think stuff like starts peaking off, like plateauing? Off? I'll say thirty-seven. Ooh, thirty-seven. Uh, He's 33 now. I would guess that he could play at this level for another two years. I agree. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like 35, he probably... Yeah. I think he'll still be good. I think he'll still be good until 37. But this level... And I I think it was Bill Simmons in his book of basketball actually made an interesting argument that the greatest of the great players don't have one peak but several, right? And you can kind of look back. um, And you can look at like LeBron's... LeBron had a peak in Cleveland the first time. Yeah, like an athletic peak in Cleveland, and then and then carried that that horrible team to a finals um, before they lost to San Antonio, and then he goes to Miami and has that peak where he's like shooting sixty percent from the field in like twenty thirteen or whatever it was twenty twelve. He's like shooting sixty percent from the field, and it was like the perfect combination of LeBron's basketball IQ and his his physical traits and all athleticism and all that stuff, and then uh, has another peak in Cleveland where. You know, the three-point shot comes around and, you know, all the comeback from 3-1. Sorry to remind everybody, but all that stuff. Like, you know, he had like three or four peaks, you can argue, LeBron had. Where Steph, you really only see one right now, which was like the back-to-back MVP year, you would argue was his peak. Um, and maybe he peaked again with when Kevin Durant was there, but kind of hard to tell because, you know, all that team was so talented, it kind of glossed over a lot of stuff. It, it's hard to kind of evaluate how good individually all those guys were because they were so good collectively. I would argue that we're seeing another peak right now with Steph, and it's different because he's stronger, physically more mature. He's getting to the rim more than he ever has and more effectively than he ever has. And so I would argue that this is a new peak. And because there's a new peak, and I wrote about this yesterday for the Mercury News, because we're seeing a new peak of an evolved version of Steph Curry, that's why the offense has to change around him because he's not just the three-point shooter, jump shooter, you know, finish with a floater in the lane here and there. Now he's a guy who can, he can go get you an ISO bucket. Like, how many times have we seen that this year where, you know, he splits a double or a triple or a quadruple team 
you know, shoulders his way through uh, the paint and finishes with some crazy acrobatic layup with, with only the touch that he has. We've seen that so many times this year. I don't more than we've ever have. I think we can we can start to think about Steph more in that kind of way. And and because of that, maybe we're getting a second peak, which would be interesting to just when all that's said and done, look uh, to look back historically at Steph's career. I think we'll we're going to think about this part of his career in a very in a very interesting way, depending on what happens uh, with the rest of the roster. I'd argue this is his mental peak, like. Yeah, this I don't think this stuff blows twenty. Like I know he was hurt, but I don't think this stuff, as smart as he is now, blows the twenty sixteen finals. Just because he's so much more cerebral than he was back then. I agree. I think you're right, and that so we're seeing like this kind of. Well, it, I guess this would be like Cleveland Cavaliers LeBron peak for exactly. Steph, where it's he's seen everything. Oh, box and one, I've seen it a million times now. Uh, whatever you want to do, the triple team, all this stuff. Like he does this thing. Like Damian Lillard has had a, such a hard time with triple teams and stuff uh, over his career, and he's gotten better at it. But Steph has mastered it. Like you triple team Steph. I mean, how many times have you seen Steph triple teamed and then got worried? Zero times. Oh, it's zero times. Pass every time to Draymond. It's beautiful. It, it, you know, he 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 shoulders his way in, then he shoulders his way out. Does like a step back into a pass. He has this like weird like he's always been sort of a sidearm passer in the first place, and I think it really helps him in those situations. Um, or like you said, whips over. He loves to do that whipped over the head with the opposite arm to the other mm-hmm. side. Um, Get a cross court left hand pass. That's yeah. beautiful. He's That's just insane. so good at it. It's 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 insane. And so, yeah, I, I think it, it's it's ridiculous how accurate he is with that. Um, and look, sometimes it leads to a turnover, but you know that's what you get. So uh, I like I I would love to see this version of Steph play at those high of stakes again. I think it would just be really fascinating and and just really entertaining. Speaking of like we're talking about Steph's peak and prime, how do you think in his later years? How do you think his play style is going to be? How's it going to shape out? I think some of the things we're saying. Look, obviously the athleticism that he's sort of developed will taper off a little bit. I remember I, I was talking with his uh, trainer Brandon Payne a couple months ago, and he was talking about how like Steph. His body just—he's like a late bloomer, right? So his thir- his age thirty two, thirty three is closer to like a twenty eight, twenty nine for most players. So if you think if you believe that, and you know, Brandon Payne is knows Steph's body more than anybody, but he can't predict the future. So um, if if we kind of subscribe to that idea as truth, then Steph's body should operate, it should function at his at this sort of level, this prime type level for another two to three years, which is why we were saying that. Um, I think that's why we can expect this. But then once it tapers off and, and I, look, the shot will always be there. I think the IQ is always going to be there. The handle will always be there, even if you can't pair it with the athleticism anymore. So I think you'll see something better than maybe, well, it depends on how long he plays. Like if he plays until 40, like Ray Allen, he'll probably end up looking like Ray Allen when he's 40. But I do think he'll be something better than that because of the handle and because of the basketball IQ, Ray Allen was a really smart player, but Steph Curry's just another level, right? And so it's nothing against Ray Allen. It's just that Steph's a, like, just a whole other level from that. Um, and then obviously the shooting is the greatest of all time, and that that's not going to go anywhere. So um, I guess if he plays until he's 39, 40 years old, just like better version than late, late stage Ray Allen, which is a pretty good player since we're considering that Ray Allen was a really helpful player until he, le- until he retired. 
And so pretty much the Warriors, like, you know, sort of the young guys, you know, you're trying to build sort of like a championship identity. Yeah. Do you still see Steph kind of like, do you still see like a run for a championship without Steph being the best player at that point? Well, the idea would be... their goal. Yeah, I mean, the idea there would be, you know, could he be Tim Duncan for you? You know, and Tim Duncan was carried by Kawhi Leonard in 2014. Um, They're going to need Kawhi, or they're going to need James Wiseman to be their Kawhi Leonard, where he develops at a point where Steph Curry has sort of aged out of that ability to carry a championship team, but can still function at a high level, and you still have, you know, these other pieces, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, if he's still around, you know, Andrew Wiggins, if he's still around, or whatever kind of moves you make. Can the can those guys still be you know good rotation players to you know borderline all star type guys like Tim Duncan and Tony Parker were those years, Manu Ginobili were those years, and can you get like some sort of uh, big leap from your young guy to kind of take the torch like Kawhi did, like James Wiseman could do potentially. He's got the talent, uh, or whatever they do with this Minnesota pick, maybe that guy does it. Um, that's what I think what the vision is, and then you kind of have. We were talking about peaks. The Spurs had their peak, right, in the early 2000s and, and late 90s. And then they had that other peak like 10 years later. I guess that would be the idea for the Warriors is that you have your peak in 2016, 17, 18, 19. And then maybe seven, eight years down the road, you kind of have another peak when James Wiseman's ready to carry the torch or whoever it is. And you still have these other guys still setting the tone, still setting the culture, right, for the, for the whole thing, but relying a little bit more on some of these new talents I, i've seen some fans say that draymond should take that not like igadala but like the igadala super super role player quote type role next season what do you think about that like coming off the bench i i don't know if coming off the bench but like he should be treated more as like a role player than as like a star which he was in 2016 i think he kind of already is right like, if, if you look at him in this role, I mean, he kind of is their new Andre Iguodala, a guy who you can't really rely on to score at all, uh, but is going to defend at a really high level. And, and at this point, I would argue that Draymond Green might be a better perimeter defender than front court defender and um, and pass the ball a whole lot and just understand where it need, where Steph needs the ball. You could argue he's playing that role. So, yeah, I look, I don't think he should be treated as like an – I don't know that Draymond's ever going to make another all-star game again, you know? So if you mm-hmm. if you just assume that, given that, like, you can't you can't assume any points from him. Like any points from Draymond in the game is a bonus. Like you have to go into every game assuming that he's going to score zero points. Uh, and how do you get as many, and then from there, you kind of reverse engineer and figure out how many how many how do we score enough points to win this game if Draymond's going to score zero? And if he goes out and scores eight or ten, then then you got a bonus. But um, you know, I think because of those reasons, yeah, we you, we treat Draymond Green now like a high end role player. He's not doing that. Yeah, you probably. I don't. Know. He would never. He would never consider himself a high end role player. But that doesn't really matter. He could think whatever he wants of himself. He's the best. Like, but he's the best defensive player of all time. Why would he be a role player? <laughs> offensive uh, role player. Yeah, I'm not going into those waters. That'll do it for today's show. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked On Warriors wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, say nice things about the show. You can send your comments and questions to me on Twitter at wc goldberg or email them to me at wgoldberg at bayarianewsgroup.com. If you haven't noticed, we are going live and recording live on Locker Room. More 
of late. And so make sure that you download the Locker Room app and follow me there at WC Goldberg so you can tune in when we record live and participate in the conversation like so many of the people did today. So a thank you to everybody who participated. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, and I'll see you here next week.